Welcome, dear ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of a new season of Meet the Revolution. As we've gone into a period of healing and uh, saving the nation, I am dedicating this season of Meet the Revolution to nation building. And that's why I will be having conversations with uh, various people who have ideas about how to rebuild the nation. Today with me is Sana Shirinyan, a very good friend of mine. I'm proud to have her here. Welcome, Sananjan. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm all right. I mean, I've been better, but, you know, we're pushing through. Thanks for no, having me. I'm very proud of, to have you on, on, on the show. And the reason for that is not only because you are a great person, but as well, uh, the things that you do for the community, uh, for Armenia. Uh, could you please tell me about what you do uh, on a general basis about your work? Sure. So right now I'm the principal of Adi Giragos Minasian Armenian School. It's um, a daily Armenian school, preschool to sixth grade in Orange County. It's the only Armenian school in Orange County, and it belongs to the network of Armenian policy schools in the Western region of the United States. So I'm there now. This is my fifth year. And previously, I was working at a sister school in Hollywood, where I graduated from. um, And I was teaching high school there, high taught classes. So, yeah. That's where I am serving my people currently through our school system. Yeah, that's amazing. I just mentioned the nation building part. The nation building, we agreed right before we had this conversation, we were talking about how education is key to building your nation. Let's start with the very, very basis, the very first thing that comes to mind in this current period. Because after this war, many of us have been rethinking, reevaluating, and changing our lives the way we know it. And education is in that sense, as I said, is key. Uh, where and how do you think we have to start with all of this, uh, either in the homelands and, and the diaspora, of course? That is a very important question that I think we need to dissect and have a lot of conversations around. I don't think there is a simple, straightforward answer, but I will agree wholeheartedly that, especially personally for me, we need to reevaluate and rethink where we are and where we're going because, you know, I've always known that there is a threat that Artsakh will be attacked and we will be in war again. Never could I have imagined that in my lifetime something like this could actually happen and seeing it unfold every single day it's unprecedented. So it would be naive to think that we can continue as we were, kind of on cruise control, content with the status quo, because I genuinely feel like nothing from this point forward will be the same. So I don't want to be alarmist, I don't want to be extremist, but I think that's just the reality we're facing. So what we've seen unfold, the fact that my generation has seen the loss at the caliber that we have it's I think very important pause and reflect and re-strategize and if we decide hey you know we've been doing everything right there's nothing to change then fine but if we don't take those reflections seriously then you know I worry that there is a lot more to lose. There's a clear division in what to do in the in the tasks that we have in front of us between the diaspora and the Armenian society in Armenia itself. Solely speaking of education, do, do we have a 
adequate enough educational system in Armenia to comprehend and to assess the gravity of the situation as of now. Because obviously, I think you've seen it as well, that we are still in the, some are even in denial, we are in the process of giving a correct evaluation of the current situation, of what happened. Are we able to assess that correctly? So I think even before that question, we need to ask, uh, what's the goal of our education system, right? So, you know, I'm not an expert on Armenia state education system, but I think the same question needs to be posed as it would be here in the diaspora, especially vast, wealthy diaspora communities like we have in the Western United States. So what's the goal of our education system? Are we trying to produce vibrant, successful, secure communities that produce culture that aren't under constant threats of extinction. If that's a goal, and you know, I just threw that out there, these have to be seriously assessed. So if that's the goal, what are the steps we're taking to get there, whether it's in Hayastan or in the diaspora? So obviously, well, education, it's such a broad Thing. Do you have early childhood education, right? I have two, three-year-olds in my school. What, what are the steps taken at that level? And then you have middle school students where they're just coming into their identity formation. Elementary school students are just discovering who they are. And to discover who you are as an American and an Armenian living, you know, 7,000 miles away from your homeland, that's a big task. And then you have high school students where, okay, their consciousness is being fully formed. And what role does Armenia play in that consciousness and that identity development? Those are important questions. And then you also have university level students. And then the community at large needs to be lifelong learners. So if you have hundreds of thousands of Armenians in this community who are students for an entire lifetime. We're constantly learning, constantly growing. How do we direct that education to service the nation uh, or the community? How do you balance one versus the other? You know, how much of our identity formation is centered around Armenia's development versus just Armenianness as an identity in and of itself, where the state doesn't have a central role to play. So okay. I know I'm throwing a lot of questions out there, but uh, yeah, these are the thoughts that you know we've been processing. What comes to mind is, uh, this might be a, an unpleasant question to answer, but uh, I would like to ask, has the diaspora failed in, in a certain sense? That to me, I personally imagine the diaspora being a much larger um, resource to, mm-hmm. to Armenia. But hearing you talk, understanding the importance of Hayat Bahpanu, uh, one of the most essential tasks of your, uh, of your school, of course, as a uh, support to the homelands, do you think we've, uh, we've done enough of a good job? Uh, so I would totally flip the premise of that question. I wouldn't necessarily agree with Haya Bahbanum being the goal of our schools, for example. And I know you had Rupen on here, who's a good friend of both of ours, a while back, who, and you guys kind of dove into this question of Haya Bahbanum, if I remember correctly. So, you know, rather than protecting and preserving what's left of our culture, to just shift that lens for our institutions to be creators of culture, 
producers of culture so that our Armenianness can grow into the 21st century. I think that's a more appropriate goal. And then I would also flip the premise of how, you know, what's our role in aiding Armenia or supporting Armenia? Is it necessarily one dimensional? So I don't know that the diaspora's role is to, you know, one dimensionally support Armenia's development. It's definitely part of the equation, but I think there's a much more dynamic relationship between diaspora and state that needs to be cultivated. I wouldn't say that the diaspora has failed. I could never bring myself to say that because I, I'm a product of the diaspora. I've dedicated my entire existence to Armenian institutions in the diaspora that have worked to create communities of conscious Armenian citizens. So can't say that it's failed. Do we need to uh, readjust, perhaps? Do we need to make adjustments with the understanding that while we haven't had an independent state for most of diaspora's existence, we now have an independent state. So what role does that state play in our development here? I think there is a lot of work to be done in that sense. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I would have loved to hear uh, every Armenian say that our eventual goal is to uh, go back to Armenia and to, to live live there, all of us together. But unfortunately, that's uh, beyond realistic. But when grassroots educational platforms, such as schools, and not just schools, of course, mm-hmm. incite the idea, the incentive of Debi Yedgish, going back to Yedgish, um, that, that would be a powerful tool. That would be at least uh, solving one part of that equation you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Seeming that we today do donate a lot of money. Uh, where that money goes, I don't know, but it's like um, a moral duty uh, sense of thing. But I believe that the diaspora could have been much more. And in the coming years, the burden of this crisis that we are in as a country, we could and should divide among the entire trans nation, entirely uh, Armenian trans nation. So yeah, th- that, that's grassroots education. Where do you think that we should start with things like that? Where, where do we, uh, I mean, it's obviously school, but there's also education at home uh, in communities. Where do you stand on that? So I think just going back to your thoughts on Tebi Ergir, I think Tebi Ergir is a beautiful concept, kind of like a marketing. It's a good uh, soundbite. Slogan? (laughs) Slogan, yes. Uh, Like I almost want to have it tattooed. It's such a beautiful idea, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's a little premature to present Tebi Yergir as, okay, the next realistic phase for the diaspora, because I can foresee it failing. So, I I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not an expert, but if we now promote this concept of Tebi Yergir repatriation, as important as that is, I see that completely failing. Because before you do that, there needs to be a serious paradigm shift in the diaspora consciousness. I see it firsthand. Our approach is success, right? We want our students to be successful. We want Armenians to be successful, our communities to be successful. And they are. 
they, like Armenians in the diaspora are very successful, but I don't necessarily see that success being collective, right? We are very good at producing individual success stories, but then how do you capitalize on that individual success for the benefit of the whole, for the benefit of the nation. So once you have like a paradigm shift, a shift of consciousness where your community members are working for a collective goal, then you can successfully have a Tebi Yergid campaign. Because then you're growing up knowing that, okay, what I'm doing, what I want to be good at, what I want to be excellent at is not only in service to me, but it's in service to my people and my country. That can lead to you moving to your country. That can lead to you working for your country from abroad. I mean, the diaspora is a vast resource for Hayastan. And, and you know, it's not necessarily tapped into to the extent that it should be. I mean, look how much we raised during the, the most important war of our lifetime. Armenia fundraised million. I know there were other projects that people donated to as well, but I think it speaks volumes, you know, that number being so low and the diaspora numbers being so high. Where is that collective consciousness really? Yeah, I agree. I understand that it's too premature uh, to talk about the Beard It's simply not realistic. That's why. I would ask the question of uh, education. How can we implement that idea on a grassroots level to make it develop into something, not the entire community, but at least clusters of people who literally look at each other and uh, who are uh, members of the same community or members of the same school or are uh, alumni of your school that would, that would look each other in the eye and go like, okay, listen, mate, we need to go back to the homelands or at least, you know, have a, make a yeah. big investment, things like that. So the school variable mm-hmm. is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I would like to understand if how, how your school or you as a principal try to make that happen in case you do. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. The school is a place where students can come and live in this Armenianness every single day. You literally cannot get that anywhere else where you walk through the gates of a building and you're living in a little Armenian world. You know, you walk through the gates, the first thing you hear is Pari Luis and Armenian music playing, you know, as you line up to do your morning prayer in Armenian. So just from the first second already, you are immersed in this Armenian world in a little bubble that is not in Armenia, right? So in that sense, it's doing a really good job at developing students identity over the years in in direct and indirect ways because they're just living as Armenians whether they're picking up on it consciously or not. Just a uh, side note here the Armenian private school system in the western United States only serves about three to five percent of Armenian school students the Armenian school age students so kids who are of like school age of Armenian descent, only about three to five percent of them go to Armenian private school. So you have this whole population of kids who are in public school for whatever reasons it may be. I'm sure there is economic hardship, even though we have financial aid. Uh, I'm sure there is just a lack of understanding at what value a private Armenian school education can give to your children. So I think both need to be considered. You have hundreds of thousands of Armenian 
school-aged children living in our communities. In the private school system, you know, where I work, obviously, just that daily routine living as Armenian plays a big role. And then, you know, over the years, our curriculum addresses Armenia, our in high school, we have high taught classes where, you know, we're discussed. This is the class I taught at Pilibos. You're discussing politics, genocide, the state development, current events of Armenia. So they are having these discussions on the day to day to build a consciousness that revolves around their Armenianness and of around Armenia. And then obviously, you know, you have your classes going to Armenia. So we literally take them on a trip every year. We try to enhance the value of that trip through projects. You know, when they go, they'll sponsor projects there, schools. Um, they'll meet with other students, have soccer games, go to visit the soldiers. So you have to create that connection and then hope once you send off these kids into the world, you've lit that spark enough for them to then independently continue to develop that relationship with Hayastan. That's that's really impressive. I'm, no, I'm genuinely impressed. Every year you guys go to try to get all the uh, students to Ayastan? Is that a thing? That's been happening for the last uh, at least 20 years. Yeah, Ooh. every every Armenian school graduating class or the year before uh, 11th grade, in our case, 6th grade, in Shamalayan's case, 8th grade, we take a trip to Ayastan. Yeah, and it's something that the kids look forward to throughout the mm -hmm. years of being in these schools. It's like the big send-off, yeah. Oh man, I would have loved to have that in my school. Unfortunately, I've never been to an Armenian school, but that's fine. Uh, so, open up. No, I, I, yeah, I, I would love, see, this is why I would love to have, uh, community-wise, Holland, it's very fragile. The, the, the core of, um, the, let's say, the leaders of the community, they are very, they're ideologically pure. They would love to do all the effort to have their kids uh, learn Armenian. And it, it, they often succeed, but it's still, it's not systematic. There's not a mechanism that, that does this automatically. That's why I'm so impressed. I know friends who, who are Armenian that never been in Armenian until they're 25th. And, and you guys do that at a very young age, especially now when Armenia is such a nice country to visit. Actually, it's inspirational. And I would love to, to see that mechanism be impl implemented everywhere. So, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. Power to you. Nice. Good going. Uh, yeah, speaking of mechanisms, communities being formed, especially through education. In smaller communities, we have to, where schools aren't even a thing, we have to, people, Armenians, who would like to make a contribution to, to the Armenian identity or the community or uh, Armenia, we have to try and, and, and find them from everywhere. How can you, uh, in general, of course, not, not you, <laughs> so how can anyone, you know, try to educate people in a community where the, these mechanisms are not present? What's the first step to take? Uh, create the mechanisms. I mean, how can you sustain a community without institutionalized support? Then you're just kind of hoping that it works out. And it might temporarily, but, and you know, I'm, I, I know I'm speaking from a very traditionalist lens and I know institutions need to evolve and adapt to the current climate. 
and I know there is theory that is opposed to is the opposite of what I'm saying that believes that just organic coming together organic organization will work but you know that's not my experience so I would encourage that small communities develop institutions so there's no reason why a community a small community still can't have a daily Armenian school for example it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of money but the results will yield tenfold of what you invest the consciousness in within a community trying to develop that and getting uh, you know creating these these uh, mechanisms creating these institutions like you said they stem from a, a collective goal right you mentioned that and this collective goal is already quite hard in a large community i mean you guys offer education to just three percent of the uh, armenian population that's probably part of a population which has like an ideological, I don't know, uh, a goal to have uh, their kids at a uh, Armenian school because they deem that important. It's already such a small percentage, but in a smaller community like ours, where the influx of not the classical diaspora, the, the modern diaspora, which has been huge, they tend to, lead, you know, to, to operate outside of the community. Outside of the uh, existing institutions, uh, larger organizations, the ARF, AYF, uh, Home Entmans, uh, AGBU, they tend to stay outside of that of that of these mechanisms of these institutions. But the classical diaspora is easy that easily comes together much more easily than the modern diaspora. How is the experience with the school? How's the experience with uh, uh, the vision? between the modern and classical at, at your school? Well, my school specifically in Orange County is, it's hard to say, it's such a mix. And a lot of the demographic now, as I see it, is also children of mixed marriages. So it might be one parent who is a product of the classical diaspora, which in most cases they are, who's already second generation, who is now married to non-Armenians, and then you know, you have that effort to now raise your children in this classical institution. That's a growing trend. There's not a lot of, as far as I know, we don't have a lot of influx immigrants from Hayastan in Orange County. So we don't see that at our school. But I think like in Hollywood, like P.D. Bose, I went there, my class it was, we were half and half. We, half of us came from, you know, parents of the traditional diaspora community and a lot of my classmates were kids of immigrants so it just depends kind of where you live convenience socioeconomic circumstances but yeah in any case you're serving such a small part of the population that whether we like to admit it or not and obviously i am a proponent of armenian private school education right I, i'm a product of that system i support that system i work in that system but whether we like it or not we have to look beyond that system because you have so many who operate outside of that system it, it is a challenge i i hear that constantly i know that that is a question that always comes up so they don't really dive into the, these institutions that we've created. You know, they kind of isolate themselves. Can usually people get together? I mean, I don't know. I think it needs to be really studied. And, you know, ultimately it's human nature. You know, what are hu human beings are attracted to some sort of collective, I think, for the most part. 
So what is it that we're not understanding about these new, this new community being formed? What is it that is not attracting them? You know, if you're gonna develop communities, these are things you have to study and adjust to. Yeah, there's a couple of things that uh, I would like to distill from what you're saying. Three things I, I noticed, which are uh, quite important in, in developing actually is. So first of all, the, the trips, early on trips, uh, graduating trips to Armenia, which is a, a quick way of uh, really introducing the kids to the beauty of the homeland. So that's one. That's a cr- grassroots plan, basically. Second is creating communities within, uh, within institutions. And the third one was, uh, I forgot which one it was. Trying to appeal to the newer diaspora. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, appealing to the newer diaspora, because a stronger diaspora also means a stronger Armenia, obviously. Actually, there's a fourth point that I, that I would like to make, the collectiveness. So uh, obviously, individualism hurts institutions. Individualism hurts our communities. How can we awaken that collectivism how can we awaken this inside of each and every student or individual of, of community? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. There, I think that it's a multi-layered approach. I think you can appeal to people's individualistic tendencies by proving to them and explaining that kids that are rooted in some sort of community and who come from a solid foundation and their roots are deeply sown into this community life are often more successful than students that, you know, are kind of isolated and they're focused on their individual success. You know, they may have high uh, grade point averages, they may have high IQs, but if you don't have that support system, if you don't have that community structure to fall back on, you're less likely to be successful. So there's that element of it. This is something that I think needs to be taken on by community leadership, not school leadership necessarily, but community leadership. I think this is a, a conscious political move that needs to be made. So there's multiple levels and layers to it, I think. No, I mean, obviously, as a school, you, you do offer much to the individual. I mean, an individual goes to your school to, to become a better version of itself, right? Right. One those classes, it, it gets, it learns from people, uh, from the teachers. In that sense, of course, it's, it works both ways. And a lot of it comes from the family, too. I mean, you cannot disregard the importance of a family structure, You can have two students going to the same school for 12 years and they'll take completely different paths. And a lot of that can come from home life and, you know, what kind of ideologies and thought and belief systems that parents pass down to their kids. We take these trips to Hayastan every year with our, our students. You know, is Hayastan something that they picture as just this kind of ancient place with churches and monasteries and mountains and forests it could be you know we try to kind of break that stereotype not break but you know transcend you know Hayastan is a place where there's hip-hop subculture you know that's something I try to talk to the kids about before we go but they're excited you know Hayastan's a place where there is a huge galleria that you can go shopping (laughs) no making it a real place where kids take ownership of eventually when they're yeah by the way do these kids uh, are they often like is it the first time they go to armenia is, is it often the first time or 
for most of them, yeah, it's the first time. And uh, sorry, I'm, I'm Dutch, so I'm an idiot. I don't know how your school system works. Yeah. What age is that more or less? Uh, it depends on the school. So like first trip to Iceland was with the Shamalian graduating class, which ends in eighth grade. So Shamalian's eighth graders go. What age is that? Uh, 12. 12, okay, yeah. But yeah. That's, yeah. that's the perfect age, I think. When, uh, when's it at your school? Our school, we end at six. So they're really young. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. Sixth is 12. Uh, eighth is 13. 13, 14. Okay. Is it like, so uh, is like it 11, 12, or then 13, 14. So our kids are really young, but we we send them with their families. So it gets mm-hmm. to be a whole like family experience, which I think is kind of has its own special, it's a special experience for them. They're with their parents, their siblings. And, you know, I think they still have a lot to grow before they can really take in what Hayastan is, but it's okay. So, it, you know, at every age group, you experience it in a different way. Definitely. I'm just wondering about what level of comprehension do you imagine the kids have? I mean, you, you mentioned projects, uh, projects and uh, uh, what impressed me the most is, of course, the Zingvorneri Het Handi Puma. I mean, these are 11, 12-year-old kids. Obviously, they, they understand a lot, but the impact of war or what a Zinvor uh, actually means to Armenia, that's interesting to me. How do, you, how do they, yeah, how, what's the impressions you generally get? So look, this is something that I am currently grappling with because how do you now really, really, I mean, we've, we've, we've done it before, but now how do you really educate Armenian students to understand that there is in real life, real enemies that want to destroy you? Now, this is something we've kind of taught in through like a historical lens but it has never slapped us in the face the way it has now. And you are teaching, you are operating schools in a very Western progressive context, but you cannot avoid the fact that we have neighboring enemies who want to destroy us. Now, how do you teach this to kids in an age appropriate way to high schoolers in an age appropriate way not to develop hatred within them, but to give them the understanding of the current reality, which cannot be avoided, and then have them understand their role in all this. So how do you have them think critically about, you know, even though I'm a product of the Western United States lens, can I rely on the United Nations? Can I rely on you know, the UNESCO to preserve our heritage sites? Or is this all now on my shoulders, which it is? Uh, that's a big burden to carry. And it's a big responsibility we have. So, wow, yeah, I, I can understand how, that it can be scary to, to learn these things, uh, just as scary as to, to, che- to teach it with uh, a lot of uh, caution. I mean, you obviously, as a teacher, you have to... Be careful in how you take it. Take such a disturbing, crazy reality and and put it into I don't know uh, just a, just a kid who just wants to play PlayStation, you know. And into something productive. 
And, and, if, and it's something that most other groups of people, most other countries can't relate to. It's almost absurd. Like in this day and age, we are a population that is that whose existence is being threatened, right? This is something that almost no one else can relate to. How do you teach that? I mean, especially in our position with the large diaspora that we, we have a duty to, to educate them correctly and no other nation in the world uh, is in our position. Right. It's not to create this like dark picture for these kids and just kind of live in this pessimistic consciousness. It's not to, you know, just have them give up and, and take in this depressing reality. I think it's really an opportunity. It's an opportunity to raise world leaders who have a much higher understanding of, of leadership, who can be torchbearers for change for the world. So it's really an opportunity because our situation is so rare, is so unique to us. It gives us the opportunity to raise kids and leaders that can be true change makers of this world, not just of us, but of the world. It's an opportunity we can't miss out on. So how are they going to be the, the ones at the forefront of human rights and human rights in a way that, you know, it's not the current context of human rights, but human rights that really values human life. How are they going to be the leaders of this fortunate reality that's been handed to us? A while ago, someone raised the question of um, what if the Armenian people were rulers of the uh, rulers of the earth? Would it be a more peaceful place because we've seen so much suffering? Or would it be a more aggressive place because we've seen so much suffering. So yeah, that, that's stuck in my head. So hands down, without a doubt, it will be a more peaceful place. We're a peaceful people. We are a loving people. We are a people who create and offer beauty to this world through our language, through our innovation. I mean, that's how I see it. I've never felt that our people are ever a threat to any other people although we are very proud of who we are and sometimes that's translated as being too nationalistic and that translation by the way is done among ourselves so uh, armenians will say no no we're being too proud we see ourselves as too superior and i think that's okay like we're putting ourselves in check obviously i don't agree with that i think we should be proud of who we are we should love ourselves we should value what we offer this world and we've never done that as a threat to any other people. I would trust an Armenian to, uh, to, lead, to lead a peaceful world, uh, should we ever be in that position. Because the things that we've seen, like very few people have seen what we have. I think we could, we could definitely be an example. So I definitely agree with you. Sananjan, there, there, there was a couple of practical questions I had for you. So yeah. In these last few years, fake news, propaganda, manipulation, uh, misinformation have had an enormous impact in Armenia, wherever, uh, everywhere uh, yeah. in the world, actually, especially uh, out here in the West. So education is obviously the first and foremost uh, variable that lets us battle these, these phenomena. And in the case of Armenia, how do we prepare for this on a grassroots level? This is a phenomenon like we've never seen before. It's something that scares me because it's it's so rapid and it's it's kind of so consuming. Um, and I've seen it unfold 
very heavily, especially during the war. I think the value of education is helping students think critically about what they're seeing, you know, in a world where truth no longer exists, in a world where truth is so manipulated. What is truth? These kids, even us, our generation, we're being slammed with constant headlines and memes and just kind of uh, catchphrases and just brief headlines. So you take that as you take that as face value, you take that as fact. It develops your thinking, it develops your belief system, and it's dangerous. Everything we do in school, it has to be understood as helping kids think critically about things. School, the value of school is no longer just kind of dropping facts into the bucket. It's no longer just filling their brain with information and fact. Fact can be found so easily. Just Google it and it's there. Or is it? I don't know. So fact has become uh, obscure. Thinking critically, thinking deeply is the value that school can provide for this new generation because it's hard. If you're seeing things at face value and you're developing a belief system based on that, well, that can define a lot of your life. And we need to be able to ask the tough questions and put in the time. These phenomena have actually taken over uh, quite a bit of, um, they've actually led their own lives. There's a huge <laughs> part of the population that, um, that looks at perfect TV in Armenia and says like, okay, this is, this is, this is true. Whereas perfect TV is, just images slowly sliding and there's a voiceover of a weird woman uh, speaking into her iPhone. And there's, yeah. there's a huge amount of people actually believing this. And it broke us up. Uh, it's divisive and it's problematic. So critical thinking is honest to God, an incredibly important part. I hope we can have a generation of people who can really critically think uh, about what's going on in Armenia, not just now, especially when they talk about the Nakhinet. Was it that bad? Sure, there were problems, but you have to be able to uh, look at it objectively. So this is a thing that might even need to, need to have its own subject uh, somewhere in your curriculum. I think now that we know, we have accepted the fact that truth is obscure and it's manipulated it helps our case because I've fallen victim to that same thing of just going with the masses. Yes, they're corrupt. Yes. You know, even in America, you see it, the polarization of like the American political system, it's all from what we're consuming, right? It doesn't need to be this polarizing, but now that we've come to a place so quickly where we, we realize what's happening, I think it's easier to come to terms with it and challenge it. At least I hope so, because otherwise we're, you know, it's a really bleak future. In, in Armenia, our objective collectively as a country, not just the education system, right now is really, truly to survive. Because yeah. there, there's an existential threat. We are on the brink of a new war. We have to survive. So judging from what we've seen, how the people react, how the people have reacted to this, to this, uh, to this war... Don't you think that our survival mode, our survival instinct 
needs to work right now, that global issues are less important right now, or just an example, just putting it out there. So I'm just wondering that if we have, if the, the goal is pretty clear to me, isn't there like a mechanism that we can add, that we can, uh, we can present? So if we need to survive and we know the current situation that we're in, there are a few core values, I think, that we need to adhere to. And there are some institutions in Armenia that do adhere to this. First is excellence. You know, if we are committed to developing the education system, you have to commit to it wholly and make it absolutely excellent. So mediocrity is not going to work for us anymore. We can't afford mediocrity. That means really investing a lot of expertise in this field to be, to be leaders of education. Why can't Armenia be the place where people from around the world apply to to go to the top university in the region? It can be. So excellence is one. And then two, this is, I know a little less about this, but I think from what we've seen transpire, how do you create an education system where you are developing the national identity? Do students in Armenia and in the diaspora, do they leave school with the strong footing in their national identity, with strong roots in their Askain Batkan Eliutian? I think that's that's as important as producing just you know competitive, excellent education system that can compete globally. And then you know critical thinkers, looking back at what's transpired, we know, and we've been taught this lesson for years. You know, Kharimi and Harik taught it to us a while back. We know that we can't necessarily depend on people to come save us, right? We, that hasn't happened. So why do we keep hoping that it will happen? So how do we then produce that amazing brain power, that amazing capacity that is devoted to state building and nation building and development to then save ourselves? So these, I think these are important questions for the school system. Yes, I agree, of course. What I would add is throughout the school system, we need to educate an entire nation that not only learns how to think critically, but is physically ready for everything. Uh, I mean, obviously, physical education is, is also important. We need how tough it sounds. We need soldiers that not only um, are able to hold a gun, you know, to march in line, but we need real negotiators at the, uh, at, at the table of uh, larger uh, global institutions. We need to make a lot of steps. I mean, we can, we have, we, we've, we've, ha we've contributed to the, to the world. We've had a large impact, probably uh, proportionally, we've had an enormous impact, assuming that we're such a small population. But now we have to do all of that even, even better to survive. Yeah, we need to be strong. I think everything is rooted in that. What do we have to offer, right? If you can't put anything on the table, no one's going to like bat an eye to you. you. You're irrelevant. What are we putting down at the table? What are we offering, right? This takes a lot of work being a smaller people, a smaller state. But yeah, we need to be the ones at the table. We need to be the ones in Congress. We need to be the ones sitting at like the UN Security Council table. We need to be the ones, you know, sitting with world leaders and our position is valued. Where does that come from? From a place of strength, right? That comes from 
And unless, you know, bringing it back full circle, unless you have that consciousness that is a collective, rooted in the collective, not just individual success, you won't have that card to play. As a collective, uh, you meant, I mean, okay, you mentioned excellence, true, but we need a basic level of education. We need, I mean, obviously, yeah, we need to stop the, the thing where people paid money to get a diploma. We need to battle these things, this kind of mediocrity. I completely agree. But uh, we, have, we have the challenge of having everyone re- at the ready to contribute to their, uh, to their country, because otherwise we won't survive. Mm-hmm. And where, where, where do we fill the gaps to excel, or, or at least to become better as a whole, as a society? Okay, let me give you another example. For instance, chess, right? Right. We are really good at chess. Mm-hmm. Every person on the street in Armenia knows how to play chess. Right. Football in Brazil, not soccer, football. Please don't make that mistake again. Uh, everyone in Brazil loves and plays football. So I think that making something, putting it on a pedestal, let's say, this value of uh, being critical thinkers is something that we need to do. And that is a goal in itself. What do we need to put on a pedestal to actually achieve? We need to develop some sort of national ideology. What, who are we as a people and what do we provide to this world? What do we offer this world? So is it a strong sports element if it's that then you put that on the pedestal you know what's our angle we can't you know i would love to say we're going to be excellent at everything but every nation every state has some sort of is driven by some sort of ideology you know united states where we are the capitalist economy where you can come and work hard and you know achieve the american dream and that's the angle that works for the united states what works for hayastan what do we offer the world and whatever that is, which I'm not sure about right now, which, you know, that's, that's the first step that needs to be taken. And everything around that needs to develop, of course, you need to have some sort of base standard, you know, it's a base standard of education, base standard of living, healthy community life, civic engagement, you know, all of that needs to be there. But these initial questions of identity and ideology, I think this is where we need to start. And that comes from strong leadership ultimately you know working just in a in a organization locally i've understood that organizational culture and everything that we produce our output is developed and decided by organizational leadership so if your leadership is unable to guide the masses in the direction that they need to be guided i don't know it'll be tough otherwise it, obviously education is the foundation to everything else yeah, right, right. But like in a bubble, it doesn't solve anything, right? Because what is education comprised of? Of people, people coming from families, people as product of a state, the state, the leadership, the nation needs to decide, okay, this is what our belief system is. You know, we want to raise militants or not. But if that's what we're thinking, then, okay, then how does our school system reflect this goal? Because you know how I imagine it? Well, if we would actually talk about how to change the spine of our society, as in uh, a more nationalist or a more uh, Osgain, uh, to use a better word, 
backbone of our society. So you would start with education at a very low level, right? Grassroots, produce more film, music, that is us going or you know what, I, uh, what I'm getting. Right. Uh, and then the next, I mean, obviously the largest population is still the way it is. And uh, to implement something like Ask Banak, for example, you would have to think of um, a campaigning for a lot of new ideas, re-educating people who, for instance, have they studied law and they should become programmers, for instance. This is how I imagine re-educating the entire society. This is how I imagine uh, changing the basis of your, of your society. And the problems are endless. There's so many things that need to be done. What's the direction that, what are we really working towards together? I don't know. Those institutions matter for, for that reason, of course. Sananjan, thank you for your time. I've learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you.